All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. Hello again, and welcome to Print of the Screwheads Talk About Horror Movies. And Andrew, I'm going to do something a little bit different today. Mm-hmm. Um, I am not recording in my home office. I am actually recording on a gun. Oh. Yeah. Um, this oh. movie really put that forward for me. Apparently, guns can be walkie-talkies now. Yeah, uh, They can also be Swiss Army knives. They could also be uh, toaster ovens. I didn't realize that. They could be everything. Yeah, no, the, um, the the toaster over bit, and it's only hot pocket size, but you can only fit one at a time, so, you know, it just kind of takes a while for it to actually heat up. But it's really nice, these multi-utility guns. Mm. Um, and I heard about that through this little Stephen King movie called Dreamcatcher, which is going to be our subject for today. But before we get started on that one, Andrew, Primitive Screwhead, how are you doing today? You know, I'm doing pretty good. It's been uh, about uh, two months since we made an episode, I want to say. Oh, that's right. God, we should have done some sort of bits, like you were in the Colombian jungle fighting off predators, and oh, I had been, I was on another planet um, with this cartographer who was discovering this new alien species, um, and I'm then offended. there was this one part. I'm offended at where this is going. <laughs> well, so it's you okay. You, the, the, you know, I mean, it was all right. I had this real dick of a boss, but the boss just got crushed by a ship it was very weird because she could have zigzagged out of the way but instead she just decided to run straight as the ship was crashing down on her so that's that (laughs) you know they just recently released an alien covenant uh expansion for the alien card game the legendary alien card game so uh you know it's kind of timely does that retcon all the nitpicking and prometheus or no oh damn you know that would have been that that would have been a power play to actually have the card game retcon all of that uh, shit that happened in the movie right there. But you know what? We will talk about that later. We talked. Well, actually, we did talk about that. We talked about Alien Covenant. We haven't talked about Prometheus yet, but we mentioned it. I don't know why. Why retread yeah. at that point? I'm wearing up or did I? Going back. Say. Yep. So, Andrew, uh, today's movie, well, first off, uh, those of you who have never listened to the podcast before, we are two friends who met over in Korea, uh, teaching elementary school English over there, and we bonded over our love of horror movies. So, um, every so often, we get together, we pick a movie, we watch it, and then we meet up over Skype to discuss it, because let's face it, we were having these conversations anyway, so let's get to it. Once again, it is the equivalent, that's the millennial equivalent of two guys starting a bar. Now we're just starting podcasts instead. Yeah. Yeah. So that's how we go. So let's talk about Stephen King. All right. Um, what has been your exposure to Stephen King? What is your general perception of Stephen King before we start talking about Dreamcatcher? Um, so actually, I think Dreamcatcher is the first novel of his I ever read back mm-hmm. in high school and uh, I mm-hmm. kind of proceeded from then on to read everything he's written so mm-hmm. like, like I actually enjoyed this novel um, the movie not very much I remember seeing the trailer for the movie a long time ago um, as a kid and being curious about it but not really knowing what was happening mm-hmm. um, but then I read the book and I read it I read like all the short stories I think I read like Night Shift first maybe and like went through a bunch mm-hmm. of that so I've I, at this point I've read almost everything he's written mm-hmm. um, so I, I enjoy him I, I know he has tropes and I know he uh, you know kind of leans into things a lot um but overall i think he's a good writer um i think he does a really good job like humanizing characters um and even like the mean characters i feel like sometimes like the bad antagonists who are somewhat one-dimensional still have a little bit of rounding to them which i like 
You know what I always say when you're going back to the cliches and everything like that? It's always a good time whenever you put a Stephen King drinking game to a novel or a book because it's just, yeah. Wait, a Stephen King drinking game? Yes. Man, that, that sounds familiar. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, so the reason why I selected this movie, um, it had just come out when we started talking about future ideas for episodes. And we're just like, oh, shit, we haven't done a Stephen King movie yet. We should go ahead and do that. And immediately... My mind jumped to a party in Korea that we had both attended. And Andrew, why don't you start me out on that one? What was the party? What did we do? Uh, what was the aim of the evening? We had a great party. At, was it at your house? Or was it, it was at Victor's house, right? It was at Victor's house. At, at, our, at our buddy Victor's house. And uh, we were playing a Stephen King drinking game. I think we watched um, The Mist, Dreamcatcher, mm-hmm. and I thought there was a third, but I can't recall what it was. We tried to watch Langoliers, that so, um, okay. the... Party never got to that point for like, got, obvious reasons. We got through the Mist and Dreamcatcher, right? Yes, we did. Okay. It was Mist first, then Dreamcatcher, and then I, I obviously don't remember the rest of it. Oh yeah, yeah. So what what, what happened? I can't. I don't, I don't recall what happened there, Dan. <laughs> and like, actually, at this point, it's too. It's also important to know that you and I like kind of knew each other, uh-huh. but I don't think we were completely friends at that point. I feel like we were like mutual friends. Yes. So the thing about Korea is. It's very, very easy to make friends over there because you're all kind of outsiders and the most of the foreigners you meet over there are also teachers as well. It's either your teacher, you're in the military, or you're a college professor, but those people tend to stick to their families and do their own thing. Um, They're pretty much integrated in the Korean society at that point. So this was year two of our Korea experience. Um, We had become closer friends at that point. We were talking to each other, you know, just, you know, sharing all sorts of good stuff. And then... Yeah, we decided that, hey, we both really like horror movies. So our friend of ours, Victor, decided, hey, we should hold the Stephen King drinking night in one of the um, group chats that we were in. So we started out with The Mist, obviously, classic. Tom Jane is great in that role. And then also the ending just really, really sticks out. Um, We had one friend who was really pissed off at that ending. Like, she did not like it at all. And I remember I was texting her the whole way back as I went to get snacks in between movies. I was like, come on, you can't. God, this movie's so good. But then we switched on over to Dreamcatcher. And some of the rules we had, I remember one was whenever someone uses a psychic power, take a shot. Whenever there's a British accent, take a shot. Um, What else was there? I feel like whenever there was somebody who's like, who was somewhere on the spectrum or something, you had to drink. Mm -hmm. Uh, there was a flashback one. If there's a flashback, you had to take a drink. If um, oh, there's like a mainism, like mm-hmm. a a weird turn, like you know, like a, a, a yeah, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> so that's Stephen King for you. It's very familiar, very full of cliches. Um, Dan decided to relive his college freshman days and get very, 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 very drunk. Like we're talking. As Stephen King is to cocaine when he wrote Cujo, Dan was to alcohol as we had that movie night. Uh, It was bad. And I remember at one point I retreated to the bathroom because I was just going to throw up all over the place. Um, Did I throw up in the sink or did I throw up in the toilet? In the sink. Oh, how do you know that, Andrew? So uh, after Dan was in the bathroom for some time, um, Andrew also was pretty drunk. And when Andrew gets buzzed, he kind of wanders. Um, and I think I'd like heard you in the bathroom at some point and I, I don't know how I got into the toilet, into the bathroom with you, but our, our buddy had a big bathroom. So like the, the, the sink was pretty yeah. far away because uh-huh. in Korea, the, the, 
the bathroom is also where you shower. So like it, like the the bathroom itself serves as the stall. So it was pretty large. Mm-hmm. Um, there's yeah, there's, there's no like shower separate too. shower area. It's just the whole bathroom is the shower. Um, and, and at some point, um, like I, I, you know, I'd grown up in a house where uh, use getting used to things getting clogged, and um, Dan had uh, clogged the sink with his vomit. Um, so at some point in the night, um, we were in there for a good forty-five minutes, maybe half an hour, of me hand plunging Dan's vomit down the sink yes. uh, while he sat next to the toilet, and we had apparently a pretty enlightening discussion. Um, I will be very honest and admit that I recall the process. But I don't recall what we discussed, but I do remember the next day, Dan was like, Andrew, I think you really, like, at that point you're going through some stuff. Um, and I just remember you told me the next morning that you thought I had some really good insights. And it was a really nice, like, meaningful conversation we had as I plunged your vomit down the sink, which I have no recollection are, of. And here we are five years later, and I have zero idea of what we talked about. So, yeah, um, that was my first um, uh, look at Dreamcatcher. That was about halfway through the movie. So I decided, you know what, I'm going to go back and I am going to actually watch this movie one more time. So that's what I did this week, and we are going to discuss it today. So, yeah, good memories. Great memories. You know, it's the type of shit like that that really... Well, no, let's think about it this way. Most of my best friends I have a vomit-related memory with at some points. Really? Like... One of my uh, other friends, uh, he lived up in Milwaukee at the time when I was in Chicago, and he's over in Richmond right now. But the very first time I met up with him, uh, we drank very heavily, and I actually threw up on his bed while he was playing Mario Kart. That was a fun one. And I would have been in his wedding if I wasn't in Korea at the time. Uh, Matt and Tom and I, we throw up, we threw up all the time. Well, I threw up all the time. Matt never drank. But, uh, yeah, there were definitely some, you know, Korean nights on there. Once again... Korea, the whole country needs a goddamn intervention. I love you, but Korea, please, please, chill, chill. Wait, you mean, you mean the, the dollar fifty soju wasn't wasn't a good thing? And all the kimchi flowers, the ashi, uh, ajashis uh, have on the floor. Yeah, it's good stuff. It is wonderful, wonderful <laughs> stuff. I can't wait to go back. Anyway, Dreamcatcher. That is how I was first associated with it. I was very confused at the movie because I thought, oh. Maybe I was just really, really drunk at the time. But no, this is a confusing movie. And let's just uh, start with hot takes. Um, Andrew, what did you think of Dreamcatcher? Well, I, okay, so when we first talked about this, you were like, oh, Andrew, I think we have different opinions because you really like this movie, and I, I don't. Um, and again, I love the book. I think the book's fun. Um, uh-huh. And I have a fondness for the movie, but mainly surrounding the shit weasel. <laughs> I have, <laughs> Which is the actual canonical term, which I love. Like, I, I think... Well, actually, it's, it's also called the Byram, if you ever read the book. Um, uh-huh. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I digress. Um, I, the, like, that scene with Jason, whatever his name is, like, great. It's That is, like, when I the think... The toothpick scene? When, when, somebody, when somebody talks about this movie, all I think of is the shit weasel. Uh-huh. And in that regard, I love the movie. <laughs> but that is a maybe five-minute scene out of this hour and 40-minute movie, <laughs> which I constantly forget. Um, and, you know, it has Thomas Jane in it again. Um, it has uh, the guy from Justified in it. It has Jonesy. Timothy Olympians, yep. Yeah, it has Jonesy who's in, like, Homefront. Like, all these guys want to be good actors. It even has uh, Morgan Freeman, which you're kind of like, what? How, how did he get in this movie? Um, <laughs> and he got top billing, too. Did he? Yeah, he got top billing, and he's not in the movie until, like, 40 minutes into the movie. What's his name? Kurtz, I think? I, I, but, like, 
yeah, I, I don't know. I I enjoyed it. And I think it's a, I think it makes a good drinking game. But I will say, watching it again was kind of painful. Oh yeah, no, I, absolutely. I did not enjoy watching it. <laughs> did you say I liked this movie? Did I say you liked this movie? Yes. No, you, did you just say that? You said I like. We this can movie. go back in the recording. <laughs> no, I hate this movie. I really do. Good. It's yeah. So I remember when we first did the drinking game, I had never seen it before um, back in Korea back five years ago. And you and another friend of ours were saying, oh, yeah, we should totally watch Dreamcatcher. Let's do this. Let's do that. I think she genuinely enjoyed it. I think you were just like, oh, yeah, shit wheels. That's fine. But, yeah, this was very much a painful movie to watch. There were definitely some moments in there that, like, really stick with me. But it's it's an over two hours and ten minutes long it's a super long movie it's very very slow um and it's just not a very well done movie at all it's so inconsistent it's all over the place no i i do not like this movie at all but we decided to do stephen king so here we are so ready to get started i'm ready born ready okay sounds good so, once again, uh, Dreamcatcher 2003 movie. Uh, let me pull up all this information right here. Yeah, so it's 2003. It was directed by Lawrence Kasdan, which the IMDb trivia says that he said that this movie killed his career <laughs> afterwards. And I'm not sure what else he's done since then, so I'm going to pull that up right now. Uh, he's done a couple writing credits um, in terms of how he's directing. Yeah, he did a movie called Darling Companion, and that's it. That's the only thing he's ever done since Dreamcatcher. Otherwise, he's been mostly writing since then, which is interesting. So that's that. Apparently, he Steven... was the he was a co-writer of The Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. Huh, interesting. And The Force Awakens and Solo. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wow. Huh. So he's got some Star Wars aspect. He's is he one of the people that told George Lucas no when it started coming through? Uh, I hope so. Maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, he uh, did that. Um, Stephen King himself, um, according to Wikipedia, well, not according to Wikipedia, obviously, but according to one of the sources, said he told Rolling Stone, I didn't like Dreamcatcher very much. And he also stated that when the book was written, he was under the influence of Oxy, which is a step up from cocaine, I guess. But, you know, it's Stephen King and drugs while he's writing books. They go together like lamb and tuna fish you know i'm starting to wonder though like stephen king i feel like every book that gets bad or you like you know you're like oh man i was doing something then and you know Mm -hmm. i'm starting to wonder is that true like was maxim overdrive not a cocaine fueled directing ship or was did he actually just like do it his best and at the end was like yeah totally cocaine yeah yep that was it (laughs) like is it you know is it like tommy wiseau and like it's a dark comedy like is it is it that kind of situation yeah where he just like people start casting the rumors about him and then he just starts veering into it he's like yeah totally that's exactly what i thought i was gonna say uh possibly i don't know i mean he did go through a lot of addiction stuff true. that is true did he went to rehab for a while too and let me uh there was uh comics and pencils wrote uh for basically it was a segment from on writing where it kind of details his whole growing up and his life as he gets clean a little bit better and it all has to do with his desk and i don't have the time to pull it up right now but i remember it was a really good read but yeah, possibly. Don't know. Hmm. Anyway, Dreamcatcher. So, Dreamcatcher uh, starts off. Uh, it's a sci-fi horror, I guess. Yeah. But it's set in the Canadian wilderness. Um, is it Canada? No, it's in Maine. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's, oh, it's always in fucking, Maine. Everything's in Maine. Come on. Fucking course it's in Maine. <laughs> What's wrong with you? 
So it's in main, um, and it has elements of psychic powers. It has elements of aliens. It's got an asshole army colonel who's part of a super secret group called the Blues. And there's it, just a lot of stuff going on. It, it's very much a, like, if Stephen King took a whole bunch of Stephen King cliche ideas and just rolled them all together, and we'll see how that's. And actually, I think that would be a good exercise of us right now. Let's try and list, and I'm going to pull up something right now. All of the cliches we can think of in this movie, and we'll put them on parade, okay? So all of the Stephen King cliches you can think of for this one, go. Uh, Main, obviously. What? Main, Main, obviously. Main, a group group of friends who band together, one of whom or some of whom have special powers. Uh Uh-huh. Flashbacks to their childhood. Yeah. Uh, Um, A villain who, like, is, like, you know, one directional, driving towards towards something who has some kind of a bad back story or something like that mm-hmm. one note villain um mm-hmm. were there anti any anti-religious elements in this movie i don't remember i think kurtz may have dropped something at one point he may have, like drop some like yeah. lines or now and then but i don't think mm-hmm. there's a lot in this one i think this one's pretty good but i'm sure there. i'm sure like beaver than probably say shit uh yeah oh random references and song drops like uh i am the Eggman and stuff um yeah um autism yeah great great one <laughs> That's them on there too. Uh, yeah. And that just reminded me of our last movie we talked about, which we will not talk about again. <laughs> hey guys, uh, just an advertisement within the podcast. Go listen to our Predator podcast. It was a good one. It was, it was pretty good. It was all right. <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, abrupt endings. Yes. Yeah. It's, this movie doesn't have an ending. It just kind of, they say the character's name and that's it. It's, it's weird. Yeah, um, so we've got Maine, we've got Derry, we've got groups of friends, we've got special powers, we've got flashbacks of childhood, we've got a one-note villain, we've got song traps, we've got autism, we've got an abrupt ending, we got a lot. It's very much all the Stephen Queen cliches just kind of parade at one point. So, that's that. Um, we start off the very, very first scene with Henry, played by Tom Jane. Uh, Henry is a psychologist, doctor? Psychologist, yeah. Psychologist um, who is talking with a patient. And Henry has a special power to be able to read people's thoughts and read their minds. And for this one, for this little scene at the very beginning where we're introduced to his character, he's kind of a dick about it. Mm-hmm. The guy who's sitting down, his patient, is talking about his estranged relationship with food and the importance of the value of a Carl's Junior, uh, junior Burger. Um, the basically. Henry starts leaving his, reading the guy's mind and starts saying his thoughts out loud, and the guy just gets really, really angry and leaves. And we get a little bit of an insight into our Tom Jane hero character right here, who's kind of a dick. Yeah, well, he's also suicidal. I think he's trying to... He's kind of just awfuling at that point. Uh-huh. Hey, there's another one. Tortured uh, mental illness. There we go, yeah. Suicidal characters. Uh-huh. Yeah, good call. Good call. Yep, there we go. Suicidal characters. We got that. Then we are um, talking to two different people. We have Beaver and Jonesy. Beaver is played by Jason Lee, uh, and he is an alcoholic. The very first thing we see is at a bar. That's another one. Alcoholic. There you go. And he likes uh-huh. to chew on a, he loves to chew on um, toothpicks, we learn. Yes, that's kind of his obsessive compulsion disorder. He loves to constantly chew on toothpicks. And he's also got a lot of catchphrases. He just tosses here and there into the film every so often. And I think they were trying to go for, hey, this is something that... Uh, what was the one thing he said? SSDD? Yeah, SSDD. No, I'm talking about like... Da, 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 fuck me, Freddy. Oh, fuck that me was Freddy, the one yeah. thing he... Cause, yeah, he constantly said that over and over again. And he's like, you know, shit in a hand basket. Fuck me, Freddy. All these little 
cutesy little terms here and there that they keep repeating over and over again, like the writers wanted to stick that on a t-shirt or something. Oh, and like most of those were from the book, I believe. I believe uh, okay. that that is how Beaver talked. Okay. Um, so that, that, that does kind of come from there. Cool. Cool. So it's authentic on that. Yeah, I did read the plot summary of the book. And the book, it's pretty authentic to the book except for the ending, right? Yeah, more or less. Like there's definitely a lot more explanation in the book and stuff. Um, but yeah, more or less. Okay. But the ending, the, well, actually, well, Owen and Kurtz have a lot bigger role and a lot less like stupid of a role. And like, yeah, everything with Duddits is kind of different, but. Mm-hmm. Yep. So uh, we've got Henry, we've got Beaver, we've got Jonesy. Uh, no, we haven't got Jonesy because we haven't really described Jonesy just yet. Jonesy is our redhead of the group, played by Damian Lewis, and uh, he's a family man. Yep. He's also a college he's professor. He's got a wife and kids. Yep. He's a college professor. Um, they make a one line where he references his wife and kid, and that's about it. Mm-hmm. And then the very last character we have is Pete. Yeah, and Pete's kind of like a directional he telepath. Is... He can, like, find things, basically. That's his, that's his thing. He spins his finger and he finds things. Yes, he spins his finger around and he's got this psychic power where he's able to project like this little transparent vertical or horizontal tornado that directs them to where they need to go, whoever they need to find. So he helps this one woman find her keys, and that's about it. So they all have these little psychic powers, or Henry and Pete does, um, but that's that. So Jonesy uh, hands up the phone with Beaver, and he walks out into the streets, and he just gets absolutely smashed by a car um, and lies there on the streets, and he dies in the first 10 minutes of the movie. Uh, we do get a one shot of him in an ambulance, and I wrote down in my notes right here, uh, this was the worst read ever by the ambulance lady. She says, we lost him in like the worst, absolute worst read ever. It's really, really bad. Um, and I have a feeling like he died because that read was so bad. The probably, probably but, yep. But Jonesy dies, mm-hmm. and then he comes back in the very next scene where it says six months later. The four of them were childhood friends. They grew up in Derry, Maine, because of course it is together, and they got together to um go on an annual hunting field trip. And basically, it goes, Jonesy's dead. No, he's fine. And now they're going on a hunting trip. Yep. The pacing of the first 20 minutes is just really, really off all over the place. Yeah. Like, and I think it's, you know, like, it makes sense because they do want to get to the action. And, like, in the book, all these things, like, the first chapters are these introductions to each character. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I think part of it is, like, I think they all kind of think of Duddits. I think that's what it's all kind of hinting at is them all kind of connecting to Duddits in their minds. Mm-hmm. Um, and kind of, yeah, and it comes into play later, I think. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, it is, it is. It's very clumsily done. Like I get, I get why they did it and why they kept it the way they did, but it also like, I can't believe how they could have done it really better. I don't think how you could have like powered through it any other way. Really, I guess I don't know. Like I'm trying to think how else, how you could how else you could have introduced those characters that way without basically just doing episodic captures. I don't know. Yeah, for me, honestly, I think the biggest thing that's missing in the first 20 minutes is just a framing device. Like, we set up each character individually. We have no idea what the tone of the movie is going to be, and then all of a sudden these very subtle psychic powers come on in. There's a lot of information tossed at us at the very, very beginning. I think it may have been better if it started with a framing device, like them going up to the cabin so we know exactly what the main plot is going to be, or the main setting is going to be, and then going back to these little things in a flashback here and there Hmm. so then we can kind of get a plot twist later on oh shit jonesy died but then he got better rather than jonesy's dead oh next scene he's fine and now it's six months later what the hell's going on here 
that sort of thing. It's very clumsily done, though. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I never took his death as, like, an absolute he died. I took it always as he momentarily passed away, and then, you know, he, he was revived that's, very quickly. That's that's what passed away means. Passed away means dead. Well, but I mean, like, but I mean, like not actually passed away. He it's just, dead, like, Andrew. he had a momentary heart flutter almost. I don't know. He got better. Yeah. He's not dead yet. He's getting better. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's that. Um, so they decide to head up to their annual hunting trip up in the main wilderness. They are absolutely away from everyone. Um, Henry and Pete decide to head on out to the cabin for supplies, and Beaver and Jonesy stay inside the cabin at one point. They do, um, as they're hunting, it is Jonesy who is up in the deer nest and he sees a man in orange run through the woods. And this man, and I believe I'm not skipping anything at this point. Not really, now. Okay. So this man, um, his name is Rick McCarthy and he says that he's been lost in the woods for days. And he's very, very sick. Uh, he's obviously really, really just messed up. So Jonesy decides to bring him in and help him out. And this is where one of my first problems with this movie comes on in is, I don't know if this is in the book or not, but Rick McCarthy keeps farting oh, yep, it's in all the, book. the time, constantly. Okay. I just, it's not scary. It's not scary at all. Whenever you have to bring farting into your movies, it just makes it more funny. And it's just well, not even funny, just childish. That's always kind of like, I don't know, I never really thought of Stephen King's books as super scary whenever he's the master of horror. Like, I thought it was scary. But mm-hmm. aside from that, I've never really found his books to be that scary. I always thought they were kind of comedic. So to me, I guess that didn't really sit too weird with me. I just, I don't know. It was like weird that he was farting and stuff, and you kind of knew something was going mm-hmm. on, but like, yeah. Um, I never took his books as like, or his books, or even these movies as like super horror. You know, I think he kind of got me thinking about one of my biggest problems with the movie too. Is just the tone is all over the place. It's one point we have these creepy psychic powers, then we have this military thing, then we have this guy farting in the middle, and they're playing it off for laughs and. It's but it, tonally, it's all over the place. It does, this movie doesn't have a consistent tone. It's not very consistent with anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I guess we can move on there. I, I, I would say Stephen King is more campy than scary, and then camp does come with its own little bit of hilarious entertainment on occasion too. Well, like, I feel like if, um, if all the movies were set in the eighties, I'd be okay with it. Mm-hmm. If these all came out in the eighties, like th- we'd have no we'd have no qualms. I think that's a good idea. Yeah. We'll go back and we'll just set them all in the 80s. We go. So that's how that goes. Yeah. Um, we do get a little bit of character development before they split up, where they're just around the table and they're doing their own thing, uh, talking about the past and talking about, hey, Jonesy, how did you survive that car accident and stuff like that. Uh, and we do get a little bit of a flashback to their childhood in Derry, Maine, when, as another Stephen King cliche, uh, a little boy named uh, Duddits is um, being abused by two bullies. Mm. And the four main characters, as their kids, come on in, save Duddits, and help him out from the beating. However, uh, how does uh, how does Beaver decide to call Duddy down? Or Duddits down? He sings a song to him, right? Yeah, he sends a song to him, which is a very out of place, very weird sort of thing to send. And then there are also a lot of Scooby Doo stuff in there too, because Dennis loves Scooby Doo, oh, yeah, and it's a very random, random reference. Well, no, he's, he's a, he's a little kid who hasn't grown up, so he still loves Scooby Doo. Yeah, but at the same point, it's just they keep bringing it back into the movie, especially in the ending, as is if it means something more than it actually is. Well, it, well it's, I don't it's know. them gearing up their courage, right? It's like 
we got some work to do. And like, and I think it, to me, I, I kind of took it as like a callback to their mental state to like, if, if Duddits is their connection and he's there, he is what links them to their psychic powers, them using them, kind of delving back into them, kind of delves back into that mindset of being with Duddits when they're kids. Mm-hmm. So I took it as kind of like a, the more they say it, the more they kind of become part of like, call back, their, their minds are going back to that time. Okay, so Scooby-Doo to this movie is the child orgy to it, is what you're saying. Kind of, yeah. It's okay. it's, their, it's their ritual of chud. It's what, it's what gets them going. Okay, all right. You know, you know Stephen King, I think, I'm, I think we're piecing them together. I think we're piecing together that puzzle. That's our link right there. <laughs> so Duddy, uh, or Duddit's, um, after he saves them, they be, kind of become friends, and ever from that moment, Duddit's kind of gives them, or links with them, these psychic powers and this is where we find out the origin of henry's telepathy uh pete's uh direction spinner thinner whatever it is and jonesy's ability to come back from the dead i guess was that implied to be a power or was it the fact that he did get revived just what what, what came first the accident or the power oh no i think the the accident the power like the, they're set they're separate it's the accident yeah. created like like I think a I, I almost want to say the accident gave him brain damage, and which gave him the ability to hide from Mr. Gray. <laughs> no, that's totally what we're gonna like, say. Like, like I think, I think that's, that I think that's honestly what it is—the idea yep. that like a split personality was created, which allowed mm-hmm. him to hide himself. But they, but they don't imply that he grew or he was able to survive the accident because of a power that Donuts gave him. No, his power I think is uh-huh. the same as Henry's. He he just has the same like. Tele- tele- telepathy, basically, is what I gotcha. mean, it is. What was Beaver's power again? I don't remember that. Uh, Did Beaver have a power? Beaver... I think that they all just had telepathy except for Pete. And Pete just, like, <laughs> fucking found shit. Pete does his own thing. Because, okay. remember, because Beaver's the one who tells, him, who tells him to look out. Beaver's the one who's like, hey, uh, Jonesy, yeah. be careful, man. Yeah, I'll be good. And, yeah, so maybe he's got a little bit of precognition there. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so Rick McCarthy, the guy in the woods, decides the farty man in the woods decides to come on, or decides to come on, and is taken in, and they set him up in the bed. Uh, very, very ill. Um, at one point, it, once again, it's just Jonesy and Beaver at this point in the cabin. The other two have gone to get supplies. Military cappers fly over the area. This is like forty minutes into the movie, and basically tell them, "Hey, don't move anywhere. This area is under quarantine." Stay inside your cabin. We expect this issue to be resolved in about 48 hours. Um, Beaver screaming back and forth. Hey, guys, listen. We have a guy inside here. He's very, very sick. He needs to be taken out. He needs some help. Of course, being a helicopter, he can't hear anything. Which I I love that because they're like, there's the quarantine. He's like, we have a sick guy. It's like, "Uh, no shit, you're in the quarantine. Like, (laughs) I think Beaver, don't yell that shit out. Like, if they're quarantining and you're like, we have a sick guy, you guess where the quarantine's going to go around, buddy. Like, come on. We got Typhoid Mary over here. Come on, guys. Come on. Uh, yeah. I mean, I'll get the farts out of there. So um, then we get this looming shot of Morgan Freeman in a helicopter kind of looking down on them ominously, um, just really, really just creepily. And we this is, I guess, our introduction to our main antagonist? Yeah. I guess. I don't know. I never... He was an antagonist in this movie, but was he really... He did shoot that guy's arm off, but or hand off, but that's Dude, that scene was hilarious. Oh god, we'll talk about the that. The scouts on it. That was great. Uh, 
So, uh, Jonesy and Beaver go back inside the cabin, and what happens there, Andrew? What happened to their little patient? Oh, so, um, so they go back into the cabin, and they find that, um, Rick has, uh, taken up house in, uh, the bathroom. And he does not want them to come in. He's, like, he's in there, and he's, like, I'm just taking a shit. And they're, like, man, it smells uh-huh. like crap. Like, are you okay? They hear him, like, moaning and, like, scr- like screaming and stuff, basically. Um, There's also a trail of blood leading from the bedroom to the bathroom, oh, yeah, which that. just immediately warms them. So yeah, so they're like, "Oh shit!" Like so, they, you know, they try again. There, he doesn't want to come in. He's like, "Guys, I just have to take a crap." And Beaver uh, and um, Jones eventually just like break down the door, um, and they find uh, Rick sitting on the toilet, uh, just kind of you know, chilling there, chilling covered in blood, mm-hmm. um, until uh, Beaver comes over, kind of puts his, touches him, and he falls off the toilet uh, into the. Uh, to the tub, basically. Yeah, he falls into the tub mm-hmm. uh, behind it. Um, and we get a very tasteful ass shot. There. We do get it. We it's get, just it's great ass. Hot dog buns all over. It's wonderful. It's great. It's great. Nice, nice, nice. Like a ripped old ass there, like bloody butt. Mm-hmm. Um, and Beaver immediately uh, kind of realizes there's something in the toilet, uh, mm-hmm. so he slams down the, the the seat and sits on it to kind of hold it down. Mm-hmm. Another Stephen Queen quote I read across when I was researching this episode, apparently he said that he wanted to do for the toilets what Psycho did for the shower. Oh, I heard that, yeah. And not so sure he achieved that one, but, you know, here we go. But this is one of my favorite scenes in the entire movie, and why don't you tell me why? It's the best scene. So, um, so, we, so basically, uh, the sun's going against the toilet. Um, Beaver says he'll sit on it, tells Jonesy to go get some friction tape in the, uh, uh, on the shed. Um, mm-hmm. And... While Jonesy is gone, uh, Beaver pulls out his handy-dandy uh, toothpicks, try to, you know, release some of his tension, drops them, goes to pick one up, and as he kind of lifts his butt up off the toilet for just a minute, the uh, shit weasel, as we are about to be introduced, uh, knocks him off, or hits the, the seat, knocks him off to the ground, and uh, is revealed. And so the shit weasel is basically this giant, like, kind of snake, like, lamprey-like thing. Um, mm-hmm. It has, like... A split mouth, uh, so it's kind of like a, a long worm with a split mouth with a bunch of teeth inside, um, and it just goes after uh, Beaver. It, uh, it bites him, it grabs his crotch. And this is, yeah, this is one of those things that just, I, I, I felt this was very forced. I mean, it was hilarious to watch, don't get me wrong, but you know, uh, Beaver's got the whole character quirk where he's a little bit OCD about toothpicks, and he's constantly eating and constantly chewing on something. So as he's sitting down, as um, Jonesy's getting the tape, it's I mean, I've worked with people with the OCD before. It's not, unless the most severe, severe of cases, if you have a choice between grabbing the toothpick and death or, like, going into your, feeding into your tick or death, I think he could have held on a little bit longer. But what do I know? Well, like, also, I don't think he necessarily knows that it's death. He might just think it's, like, a, a you know, some... There's a badger in the toilet. Or something, you know? Like, <laughs> he might not think it's that, like... Like, you know, like, who who would think that, like, a worm thing that comes out of somebody's ass has, like, teeth and, like, you know, I don't know. Like, I, I, I get both sides, but, uh, yeah, it, it is a bit ridiculous that he dies that way. I mean, yeah, and the other guy dies, too, so he's already got one dead body in there. I would have been taken a little bit more seriously, but then again, I am the annoying watcher who is like, what's going on here? You know, oh, don't go into that closet, don't go into that dark room, whatever it is, but, I think yeah. I also would have thought about friction tape. Like, if I was that worried about yes. it, I would have been like, all right. We're gonna get up. We're gonna sprint. We're gonna close the door behind us. Like I would have been mm-hmm. more in that of that mindset than the sit on the toilet and wait for tape to come. That's true. Yes, got that. Uh, yeah. 
So anyway, Shitweasel is free, um, and we get a little bit of a fight scene down there. There is a little bit of a 90s crotch grab as well, a little bit of under the uh, butt shots where the Blamfree Shitweasel just grabs onto um, uh, Beaver. And a little bit of a fun little fight scene right here. At one point, he takes a toilet brush and kind of has the Lamprey chew on that for a while. There's a scene where the Lamprey swipes at him, and um, bite. Beaver just kind of, mm-hmm. yeah, the bite, and bites his hand off or bites his fingers off. And it's like he holds his hand up, and we don't see the fingers are missing. doesn't react at all. I don't know if they were trying to convey shock or what, but I just find it hilarious. Yeah, I, mean, so I think in the book that same thing happens, and it is kind of shock. Like, it's more like he never, like... It happens so quick he doesn't even feel it. He's just like, what? Like, mm-hmm. uh, it, it takes a while to actually like comprehend what happened to his hand. Yeah. Um, and I wonder if that was when they were making this movie, they tried to adapt it as literally as possible, except for the ending, not realizing that it, movies are a different medium and you cannot do a straight adaptation. You do have to modify and adapt some stuff. Well, it's, yeah, it's, like, it's like the, the idea of something, someone biting off your hand. And not knowing how it happened, like not realizing at first, mm-hmm. is something to disp- is something to show. But mm-hmm. like, yeah, it, it's hard to convey that without just having the, like the cut to his face. Look at it. Oh, look, mm-hmm. he's reacting, but not reacting because he's not supposed to react to it. And it's like, oh yeah, it's 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 tricky. I think I I feel like that's part of the issue with Stephen King adaptations. Is so much of it is in the character's head. I think that's what he write. He writes a lot of stuff in their head. He writes a lot of like the way people think, and like I think that's where a lot of these kind of. Uh, isms come out is because you know in your mind you think of things in quirky ways uh but you can't always have those displayed in a movie so they have them say these quirky things and it's like that doesn't work because nobody nobody talks like that you talk about that in your head you don't verbalize that and i yeah. think that's kind of the shortcoming of stephen king's work mm-hmm. most definitely i would 100 percent agree with you on that one um so anyway beaver is fighting off this land creature shit weasel for a while Again, that is the actual canonical term. And uh, eventually the shit weasel gives uh, way and gets the advantage and just completely tears off his face. And he doubles on over the toilet, pops on up, and he is dead, dead, dead. And then we cut back over to um, our other characters, Henry and Pete, who have come back from supplies. It is full-on snowstorm at this point. Oh, yeah, at some point, too, there was a dream catcher in the cabin. And they made reference to it. Yeah, I, I didn't. I'm going to be honest here. I didn't get the imagery. I didn't get the theme. Like, how does that relate to the plot at all? Or was that just something cool in the cabin? Uh, Duds is their dream catcher. He connects them all. If you notice, there's one big one and four little ones around it. So he's their yeah. connection. What? Oh. oh my gosh! So Duds is a dream, is what they're saying. They're saying that he. Like, well, they're saying it's more that he connects them all with their ropes of connection. But there's no. There's no catching. Well, it's 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 like the, how it looks. It's like it's all it's like all, all lines <laughs> lean to the center, right? And it it catches your bad dreams. So he made them. But he took away their bad dreams. There is, there is a scene in though where they explain, you know, oh hey, this is a dream catcher. It catches all the dra- the bad dreams. I just I was expecting something a little bit more than that. That's what does. Okay. Yeah, he caught their dreams, bro. He, he caught, caught them. Dreams. He ate them. Dreams. So he weaved them. Yeah, he, he he weaved them together into one close knit thing. Weaver, he was there uh thing <clears throat> and this is also another, another thing in stephen king stories like we see an it and we see it like <clears throat> and we see even like the langoliers and the mist <clears throat> like he has this constant theme of he calls like in the dark tower books he calls it his cotet his like uh-huh. predestined group that comes together and like in that book or in the 
the great thing is he basically wrote the Dark Tower as a way of being like, hey, all my tropes are intentional because they're all connected in different iterations of the same thing over and over again. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of what this is. Like, that he's that's their quartet, I guess. That's their destined group. Mm-hmm. So I guess the Dreamcatcher yeah. is the mode to create that group. So Dark Tower was just a way to retcon all of his things. Or like, Not retcon, connect. Trying, um, connect. Dark Tower was it, the Dreamcatcher was... of his other books, just like Duddits <laughs> is the Dreamcatcher of his. <laughs> Dark Tower is the Dreamcatcher. I like yep. that. Dark Tower is the Dreamcatcher of the Dreamcatcher. Obviously, okay. he would have he would changed the name to, to Dreamcatcher had he uh, thought of it before. That's why he wrote this book because he's wanted to use the name. Gotcha. Man, I, I really want to see um, the gunslitter fighting shit weasels now. Dude, that'd be awesome. Dude, I watched the shit out of that. Oh my god! Yeah. Oof. Damn, what? That's they should have done that Dark Tower movie. They 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 fucking didn't follow the book at all. They should have just thrown thrown the shit weasels Man. in there. A man in black fell, uh, sped across the desert, and the shit weasels fell. <laughs> and the shit weasels slithered behind. Uh. <laughs> anyway, so we cut back to Henry and Pete, um, and they're driving back through the snowstorm. There's a hill, and they basically need to gun, otherwise they're going to get caught in the snow. So they just zoom on up the hill as fast as they could, but the pedal the metal, and as they reach the crest of the hill, they realize, oh shit, there's a lady just sitting down in the middle of the road. So they have to swerve out of the way, and the truck they're in flips over about seven or eight times, and it is completely out of commission at that point. So they escape from the uh, crashed car, and uh, Pete is just screaming, oh god, my leg's broken, my leg's broken. But once he gets out, he's like, oh, wait, no, I'm good. (laughs) Really weird bit of dialogue to say, but whatever. No, 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 his leg is still fucked up. He's just drunk. Oh. Oh, that's right. (laughs) Oh, yes, that's right, because we have... Yes, Pete is an alcoholic. Have we referenced that yet? I think, I think that a little bit, but not yeah. Yeah. So uh, Pete is an alcoholic, and he's been drinking beer the whole time in the passenger seats, um, and that comes into play later. So anyway, they go up to the lady, and the lady is just in a sitting position on the ground, just kind of staring straight ahead, but her eyes are closed. They think he's de- uh, she's dead, so they scream at her. She screams right back. It's kind of like a shotgun jump scare, you know, our one jump scare of the movie so far. And... They decide to take her and uh, go back to the cabin to have, basically save her. And what they have a sled or something, right? They drag her right back on. Uh, I can't remember what they do because I, I know they, they well they don't, they don't go back to the cabin. They, uh, they they set up for the night. They kind of like they set up a fire near. Uh, they, they they make like a fire near where the the car crashed, don't they? Yes, yeah. they do. Mm-hmm. So they try their best to you know just kind of hold up for the night and you know just try and make some shelters to try and stay warm but anyway that's how that goes um and then we cut back to uh jonesy and jonesy has finally found the tape and he goes back into the bathroom and sees a dead beaver and he also sees the shit weasel who is just kind of slithering through the shit weasel goes in between his legs and then in the back of um behind jonesy is a really 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 bad cg looking um alien alien well, yeah it's and I kind of li- though i do kind of like that it like is a stereotypical alien mm-hmm. like i like that it is a gray guy mm-hmm. yeah it's very I, I don't know i i like the red mist aspect of mm-hmm. it and i definitely like the almost silent hill ish um how it infects the environment oh, the and all the spores are building yes 
that is pretty visually pretty cool but the actual design of the alien i thought was just very eh. well if and so in the books um at, at the, okay here we at go the end here of the we book, go there, there's the discussion between uh, uh, henry and jonesy and they more or less imply that the aliens actually are just the shit weasels and the ripley and mm-hmm. what he sees is the manifestation of his mind, what he expects to see when he sees an alien. Hmm. So it's the idea that, like, the Ripley's and what the, the red spores, that stuff, that's what's infecting him. Mm-hmm. And Mr. Gray, like, the is, is really more or less just a giant shit, is more or less just a shit weasel. And the Ripley is, like, is what infects what's the area. So, like, the aliens themselves, those big aliens, aren't actual things. Kind of like a childhood, childhood ends kind of thing. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So, like, I think, and cool. I think that they kind of keep up with that. They, I think they mentioned at one point, they're like, oh, man, look at these, like, weak-looking, like, stay, like, why do they look like the aliens that we imagine they look like? Why are they, like, these things? Um, because That's if you remember later, in later scenes, when Mr. Gray attacks, he is, like, a shit weasel. Uh-huh. So, I, I yes. think more, I think that that's part of the reason, that's part of the weirdness of it. It's, like, it's not, it's, it's a creation of his mind. It's him seeing the mm-hmm. alien, or the alien... I don't know, giving him the impression of what he thinks it will look like as like a harmless kind of, you know, gotcha. what we expect an alien to be. And that's the excuse that the VFX artist gave when they decided to go with the generic. Oh, but dude, what if they imagine like alien, like alien aliens? Like, what if there was like a xenomorph? Ooh, I would be like, oh. What if they imagine ET? Oh, be, that, what if they imagine Alf? I think like if it was ET, I'd, I'd like kick it. I'd be really scared of <laughs> ET's terrifying. If I saw if I saw fucking like a xenomorph, I'd be like sick. And, like, you know, it's going to murder me, but whatever. But, like, E.T., I'd yeah. be like, oh, I feel like it's going like to molest me or something. I don't know. It's, like, fucking, uh-huh. ugh. And if it does murder you, then you get to heaven and be like, oh, man, I got murdered by E.T. God. Dude. Dude, how does he even kill you? Just, like, fucking touch you with its glowing-ass finger? Yeah. Oh, dude, everything about E.T. grosses me out. I cannot stand that movie. <laughs> like, just thinking about it, like, really, I'm, like, I'm like cringing. Uh-huh. Fuck E.T. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, next, primitive screwheads and don't talk about horror movies. We'll go with E.T. Got it. <laughs> so... Uh, Jonesy, well, the alien basically turns into this cloud of red dust and infects Jonesy, and we'll get to that later. Um, then we cut over to our villain yeah. antagonist of the movie, Mr. Morgan Freeman, top billing as the colonel, um, who is, what a character, mm-hmm. Colonel Curtis. Um so Colonel Curtis, basically, we see their little military base, and we get about a good 10 to 15 minutes of him just explaining the situation in a lot of exposition, 55 minutes into the movie, halfway through the movie at this point, going, oh, um, this is what happened. The, this, these are the aliens. These are, you know, what they're doing here. This is the environment they thrive in. Like, it's a lot of information I do not care about at all. But there is one point that really, really gets me because he does say, what about the shit weasels? Yeah. And he makes the shit weasel term canonical. And I'm like, yes, perfect, wonderful. Um, so the military in this one, they're not really like, why am I even talking about this? I don't care. Um, the military isn't... Uh, actual branch of the military like their special secret organization within the military that's supposed to deal with these extraterrestrial threats like the men in black but kind of not so cool i guess like they don't call each other sir they say boss instead and they give rank um so (laughs) curtis brings in a military squire i guess we can call him some young dude um and what happens there andrew see i didn't write any notes on it i just remember the, the end so um 
Yeah, so basically Morgan Freeman um, is saying, you know, hey, I heard that you let someone out of the quarantine zone. And the guy goes, well, yeah, but they were turned away. They weren't in the quarantine zone. They came up to the line, and they never even stepped foot inside the quarantine zone, so I just let them pass. And Morgan Freeman goes, oh, and you believe them? And he says, well, yeah, yeah, I kind of do. And then it's kind of going back and forth for a while. Morgan Freeman says, what is our purpose here? What are we doing? What are we defending against? Over and over and over again. And then finally makes him swear scouts on her three fingers up in the air. <sighs> so what happens then? He shoots him in the hand. Shoots him in the hand. Morgan Freeman, out of nowhere, just shoots him in the hands. Blood all over the place. Um... And the guy just leaves with one less finger or two less fingers. You know what? Three, three, three less fingers. Does it take all of them once? I can't remember. I can't remember either, but he just shoots them just out of nowhere. Um, <laughs> and then the uh, second in command, Owen, um, comes on in as Morgan Freeman is just wiping up the blood over and over and says, Jesus, Curtis, what are you doing in here? Did you need to shoot him? And Morgan gives some sort of, oh, you know, I want to keep him in line. Make sure they know what they're dealing with. Make sure they're serious. That sort of thing. Well, if I recall correctly in the book too, I think there's. I think a lot of this comes more from Owen's perspective, and like, mm-hmm. and they almost they almost kind of humanize Kurtz in this moment because he is kind of like he does it, and then he's like, "Fuck, what did I like?" He like, I feel like in the book he has there is kind of one where he's like, "Ah, oh, I shouldn't have done that." Like, what like what the fuck was I doing? I think he was just like freaking out at one point, and he's like, and like when he's cleaning up the blood, it's supposed to be more of like a desperate act of him, kind of like, like you know, not like obviously he's still the villain, but he like. He realizes he fucked up, and he's, like, cleaning up desperately, kind of, like, trying to pull himself back together after doing it. Um, which yeah, I thought was like, like he went into rage mode and came out. Yeah, back. exactly. And I, and I kind of would have liked to see that a little bit. I feel like, like, I think Morgan Freeman's a great actor, but, like, just, and I'm sure there's the writing in this scene. That like, they just, like, mm-hmm. kind of botched that. Like, because you're supposed to kind of see why, like, why, like, why Underhill, like, likes him. You're supposed to kind of see like, the fatherly kind of thing and, like, the fact that he's this old guy who's about to retire and, like, is from an old kind of age. He's, like, he, he's a, he's kind of a hangover from a past administration and is just, mm-hmm. like, literally, like, is about to retire and is just trying to, like, get this thing done so he can leave and, like, doesn't quite know what to do. You know, like, almost, almost like a George W. Bush kind of thing where it's kind of like, you know, over his head, shit's going down, isn't really making the best choices and you're kind of like, all right, like, like you're you're an idiot, but, like, I kind of feel for you, old senile man. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I like the George Bush comparison. Yeah, Mike Biglia does a great stand-up bit um, where he's basically saying this type of person, the George Bush type of person, the Morgan Freeman Curtis type of person is like the um, uncle at the uh, family barbecue, the annual family barbecue. You know, he we put him on hot dogs because it's hard to screw up a hot dog, but then one day he comes on in and says he wants to take care of baseball, and we're just like, eh about that uncle george <laughs> and then you know he says well the other team is holding weapons but it's okay because they're only bombing each other they're not bombing us and blah 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 and that's why we're all gonna die anyway <laughs> that one dark we cut back to pete. pete we cut back to pete pete is in the woods uh, snow is falling all around him he's with the one woman at this point um henry uh, separates from him and i can't remember the excuse they gave but they separated i think point. henry goes back i think to go i think henry goes to get the car go, he, yeah, he goes, he like goes back to the cabin to try to get the car and come back with them mm-hmm. yeah that's true um pete is just drinking over and over again he is smashed off his ass at that point 
And he's just kind of talking to himself over and over again about just psychic powers and weird stuff that's happening and friendship. And what, what it, I don't remember exactly what he's talking to himself about. I thought he, I thought he, wasn't he kind of, I think he was talking to the dead or to the woman. Yeah, but he was really talking to himself. Yeah, he's talking about Duddits and how like, that's when everything started. Yeah. And da, 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 da. yeah. Anyway, he smashed off his head, and uh, he talks a lot about Duddis and, you know, how that happened and the whole scenario that happened there. So we get more exposition for something we already know about an hour into the movie. It's, yeah, pacing's all off, all over. Um, and he goes, so he decides, and, yeah. Oh, he's, 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 go, go, he go, go, to go, take go. a piss. Um, and I kind of mm-hmm. love it, because he goes, he goes to pee. And uh, yeah, I, think just, I, think he, I think he writes Duddis with his pee. He writes something with his pee. Yes, he does. He's like, this is the greatest honor I can give you, Duddis. And then he just starts pissing him name, his name in the snow. And, and as he does, at one point, um, the shit weasel appears. And I love it because he's like, dear Lori, I'll never drink again. And then it hops yes. out and then it flies up and bites his dick. Um, and yes. Pete, like, I'm not going to lie, Pete's a genius. This guy, like, you know, flips yes. around for a second and then immediately is like, I have an idea. And jumps into the fire. with his, with like, We'll put his dick in the fire, essentially. Um, mm. To yeah. burn it off. Full up belly flops yeah, into it. like, genius. Like, like mm-hmm. you know, it, you know, it takes take, take some balls to do it, literally. But uh, mm-hmm. he, you know, I, I, I was impressed. Um, so he does that, and the shit weasel dies, which is great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's wonderful. Um, I am going to fault the movie for this one right here, because they really don't, like, state what happened to his dick at that point. Like, did it just latch on and take off? Or is, like, a chunk missing out oh, dude, or something? Dude, based but, on how to the fingers, it's fucking gone. All done. It's, no, it's got to be gone. Just like the EPA director from Ghostbusters, again, Manhattan. Then it could have been his fingers or something, because you know he. You'd think that when the shit weasel came out, he didn't just like leave it. On I feel like we have a natural tendency to cover up when things come flying out of our crotch. Yeah, so like maybe he got his hands. Yeah, that's what. It just it really like made me. I know he was like super smashed and drunk at that point, but his reaction to his dick being bitten was not as expressive as i thought it would be well his, he's he's a quick thinker yeah he's a very good he, he thinks well under pressure that's in pete training academy that's one thing he had to do is they so they, they trained him yeah, he's literally got whiskey dick first day of the job maybe he got whiskey dick Ooh, yeah whiskey dick saved him yep, whiskey dick saved him I love and then that. it also got the the uh shit weasel <laughs> drunk and that's why it burned so well <laughs> love it okay perfect we've solved that puzzle Okay, so Pete uh, manages to kill one of them, and that's that. Um, and then, do, do, so, do, do, do. Is, that when, is that when Jonesy shows up? Like immediately after? Yeah, that's what I think was going to yeah. happen. So uh, jo- Jonesy shows up in a, on a snowmobile and is like, "Yo, Pete, let's go. We need your help, buddy." And yes. Pete's like, "I don't, I don't quite know if this is good, but like, I like he, he doesn't want to, but basically, um, yeah, at this point, I think Pete's infected with Ripley. I think he has Ripley on him, and Mr. Yes, Gray can like." Um, manipulate the ripley like squeeze him essentially so he's mm-hmm. like get on yeah so last time we saw jonesy jonesy was being initiated by the alien or taken over by the alien and um then we get to a little scene where he's driving through the woods on a snowmobile on his own and we have one angle where jonesy is just talking to himself oh god where am i what's going on and then we have mr gray talking through jonesy and how does the movie choose to convey how that jonesy's possessed Oh, he puts on a great British accent, <laughs> which admittedly, I believe um, Damien Lewis is British, so that actually, it's, he puts on his normal accent. <laughs> he's like a drunk Simon Pegg. Yeah. He's like, <laughs> well, and the funny, hello, Jonesy. 
How are we doing today? I kind of love it. I'm not uh, going to lie. Like, that's, that's one of the things I like about the movie. I think, like, I know I get shit. It gets shit for that. But I kind of think it's one of the better parts of the movie. <laughs> it's it's bad. It, it's good in a bad way. It's... I just, like, uh-huh. the way he talks, like, come on, Mr. Jones. I mean, Jonesy. And it's just, like, it's so, it's, like, the back and forth of Damien Lewis talking to himself. Like, honestly, it gets to the point where I'm, like, I, I actually don't like it when he doesn't have the accent. Where, like, when, he, when yes. he's, like, Jones. And he's, like, I don't know what you're doing. You're crazy. I'm, like, got it. So I'm like, get out of here. Get your American voice out of here. Go back to the British voice. <laughs> <laughs> Go back to the British voice. Just, you know, Mr. Gray, take over him forever. Talk like that forever. Then we're good. Oh, so good. It's... Yeah, it, it, it's such a weird twist for the movie to pull. It's such a weird direction for the movie to pull. Like, I have never seen a movie where being possessed means you talk in a British accent. Imagine if The Exorcist did that. You know, the, I wonder... It would be interesting if, like, if they have, like, a reason for that. Well, again, like... Again, at the end of the book, they, they, they almost hint at the idea that perhaps... Mr. Grey wasn't as much an actual thing. And perhaps it was Jonesy. Mm-hmm. Perhaps, like... What if, like, Jonesy, Mr. Gray was, like, a suggestion? Almost. They kind of... What do you mean by that? Like, it was all on his Kind head. of. Like, they almost kind of hint at, like, what if, like, Mr. Gray wasn't necessarily, like, as strong of a force as you think it was? And part of it was, like, Jonesy kind of, like, buying into a suggestion, essentially. Like, thinking he got taken over hmm. and thus getting taken over. Um, hmm. Which would then kind of, the British thing would be kind of like a... I don't know, like a seeing otherness and trying to create a, a, a separation within himself of Mr. Gray. Yeah. It's that that's how he thinks possession should work, so that's what he's going exactly. to do. Yeah. So it's like the power of suggestion where he can, he could have gone away with it and he could have fought it, but he was just so under the influence he decided not yeah. to. Huh. Okay. Um, so the other weird thing about this movie, too, which I don't think it pulls off at all, is whenever we do reflect on Jonesy, um, and where he is, the, just the visual of him trapped in his own mind, we usually go, we literally go back to this library inside his head, and Jonesy can look out the window and see what's happening in the real world, but otherwise he's trapped in this room. The memory library. And... The memory library. <laughs> the memory library. Yep. So that's literally what it is. Jonesy's trapped inside this room, and we also find out that Mr. Gray can't access part of his memory, can't access part of him, because the movie insinuates his brain damage yep. from the accidents earlier. So that's something. This movie is weird, y'all. You know, you gotta love Stephen King and his looking on the bright side of brain damage, because it always seems to be his thing. Yeah. Always look on the bright side of brain damage. <laughs> So, <laughs> that's that. So, Jonesy does come on over. He picks Pete up. Pete is very confused, but, you know, he's in the middle of the woods out of nowhere with a comatose woman, I guess. Um, well, dead. So, he decides to head along. Are we dead at this yeah. point? Weasel dead, comes dead, out, dead. Dead. Yep. So, that is that. Uh, Jonesy decides to head on over, and they go back to the cabin together. Um, no, 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 they, don't go to the, they don't go to the cabin. He tries to break... He tries to break the, um, he go Jonesy's goal is to break the perimeter. Mm-hmm. Yes. But doesn't he tell him, hey, let's go back to the cabin? No. no. I don't think so. No? No. no. Yes? No? Maybe? No, because Henry goes back to the cabin, repeat um, the finds the shit weasel laying eggs, you know and decides to burn down the cabin. 
See, this is the dynamic we have set up in this podcast where I am say something and you correct it later on and provide insight into it. Um, that's the dynamic we have set up. Right, insight? Here. I'm trying plot details, yeah. goddammit. <laughs> yeah, so he burns the place to the ground, and I think he sees. Listen, Jones. we would not have the insight as to is he really under the influence, or was he just being influenced? Oh, yeah, good, good point. Anyway, there we go. anyway, we 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 draft this joke well dry. So Henry goes back to the cabin, burns it down, burns it down, burns that mother Seem, down. Seems There's the cuckoo could some, Yeah, it, it is really nice though. I do like the set design of just like the place completely just covered in these spores what's ripley. it called the what are the spores called ripley the alien larva Rip- ripley yep. ripley oh that's they, right they, yeah, they, named, they literally name it after alien. ripley's alien. yes i remember that part now yeah so it's completely covered in the red ripley stuff it's almost like a blood red coral almost um it, it, the design is pretty yeah. good um, Henry goes in, he sees that there are eggs being laid by the shit weasels. Um, there is a pretty good tense scene where he sees the eggs on the bed. Oh, yeah. And then he's, he starts to set them on fire, he just by dousing them in lighter fluid. And then he hears something from behind the pillow, and then he sees a whole bunch of other eggs, and they're already hatched. Yeah. Um, that was a pretty good one. That, I did that like that good. scene. That, that is pretty creepy, too. Like, the idea of like, all these little larvae just, like, coming out. Like, little mini shit weasels, like, uh-huh. making their way yeah. around. Just like crawling up his leg and everything, he has to stomp them all out. It's good, but yeah, he burns the mother down completely. Mm. And these shit weasels are just all over the place. Um, then we cut back to the military, and we have our helicopter scene. Uh, so we switch on over to that creepy little scene to a war movie at this point, where a couple different helicopters are basically moving on through, and they are trying their best to destroy the alien mothership. Mm. Morgan Freeman is leading the charge. Um, we also see at this point the aliens have the ability to transmit uh, voices into other people's mm-hmm. heads. And the aliens are saying, hey, we're defenseless. Please help us. We're crash landed, that sort of yeah. thing. Morgan Freeman goes, hey, no, they're lying to you. They're really alien bastards. Um, and there's this big, you know, trailer explosive scene where they attack the mothership. Um, the aliens self-destruct themselves and take out a few helicopters in the way. So Morgan Freeman's helicopter and Owen's helicopter is the only one that's left. And that's pretty much it. Yep. Yeah, there's not much there. It's a big, long scene where not much happens. But hey, we get a pretty red explosion and that's pretty and you much do it. Ca- you do see that moment. You actually do see Monterey Flash, the aliens turning into like... The shit weasels when they when they get blown uh-huh. up, which is kind of cool. But you go back yeah, and watch it. I do like, like oh, that. Uh-huh. Now I do like the actual like blood red Ripley design of you know how it infects everything because it it brings an element of body horror into it, which I always appreciate, mm-hmm. and it also just I, I I do like the design of that. So take care of that and then we cut back to pete and jonesy and this is like a brief cutaway scene where just pete is killed off immediately. Like, Pete is talking, and I don't remember the exact quote, so I'm going to look it up real quick. Uh, Bite my bag. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Mr. Gray in Jonesy is talking back and forth, and basically Mr. Gray is trying to go to the quarantine zone. I think this is where they fight. I think Pete does argue at this point, hey, we should go back to the cabin. No, we're not. And then Pete realizes that Jonesy is possessed, Mm -hmm. and he says, bite my bag, motherfucker. And Mr. Gray says, all right, Pete, I'll bite your bag and everything else. And then he turns into a shit weasel and just eats the top half off him and there's this really 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 awkward cut 
where they go back into the little mines library where Joan, the real Jonesy is, and he's looking at this whole scene through the window, and he's just like, "No, oh god, my friend died." It's it's awkward. Yeah, it's it's like a, it's a weird scene. Uh-huh. Um, uh, there is a great line in there where Pete says, "Motherfucker tried to bite my dick off, Jonesy." I always thought it'd be my ex-wife that did yeah. that. That was awesome. <laughs> yeah, and then this is where the movie just kind of fast forwards, shits the bed again. Yeah, yeah. So fast. Uh-huh, go ahead. Yeah, basically, so from, the, from this point on, um, Mr. Gray is headed, is headed to a standpipe um, and uh, to a water supply, basically. That's his goal. Um, and Why is he heading to the water supply? Uh, well, What's going on there? We don't find out. We don't, we don't know yet. Oh, fine. And Henry, after escaping the burning house, um, basically runs into Kurt's group, and um, or Curtis's group, and... Uh, after kind of being put on on the side of the quarantine, um, ends up actually meeting Underhill and being like, "Hey, man, like, just so you know, like, shit's going down. There is somebody like you guys don't know this, but there is somebody who's out." He basically tells him about Jones. He's like, "Somebody's getting out of here," um, and he ends up uh, getting Underhill ends up just basically agreeing to go with him uh, after he uses uh, Underhill's gun to talk to Jonesy and figure out what's going on, which is great. Most random thing. Yeah, no, literally, like the gun. I, you know, I wasn't being random at the beginning of this episode. The gun is literally a walkie-talkie, and after he hangs up, the guy says, "Give me my gun back, please." <laughs> it's also a tracking device too. Yeah, right? it was tracking. It's how Kurtz find him, finds him later. Um, oh god. Yeah. But so yeah, Underhill and um, Underhill Henry are basically. I'm sorry. This was the point in the movie where the sink was unclogged, and I walked back in and I started watching again. And I distinctly remember the clip of him hand- talking on the gun and handing the gun back, and then also putting the tracking chip inside the gun. And I remember thinking, "Oh God, I'm still way too drunk." Right. So, no, the tracking chip inside the gun to begin with. Because remember, he gets the, he gets the gun. Curtis gives him the gun as kind of a goodbye present. What the beginning yeah. of the film, he's like, "Oh man, like you know, I'm retiring. You're my best buddy. Here's my here's my gun, um, mm-hmm. and I don't know why I put a tracking device in it because he's a fucking weirdo." Um, but basically, Curtis and uh, Henry are like, "All right, man, or not Henry, Curtis, uh, Underhill, and Henry decide to kind of give chase." But Henry's like, "Bro, we got to go and stop in uh, I'm Derry, I'm assuming, to uh, to pick up my buddy Duddits because he's really important." Mm-hmm. Um, for some reason, I think he because he, he oh because well because he knows that Dutz has a better connection to Jonesy than he does, so he's like he 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 catches the dream. Yeah, he's better. like yo, bro, catch catch Jonesy's dream and tell me where he's going. So they go pick him up. Can we can we just call this movie Dreamweaver instead? Dreamweaver, Dreamweaver, or Dream Warriors? The only no Dreamweaver because the only lyric I know from that song is that part in Wayne's World where Wayne is looking at Cassandra and she's just singing that. Fair enough. Fair enough. It's the only line I've heard of that time. Anyway, yeah. Continue. So they, they they go pick up Duddits. He's with his mom. He looks he's looks he's looking really old. Really, I think he has cancer. I think I think he has he has like stage four cancer or something like that. He has or, topical disease of the moment. He's bald and old looking and has scaggy skin, and he's like not yes, looking good. So his mom gives him a Scooby Doo lunchbox with like a thermos in it, and they're like, "All right, let's go." And his mom's like, "Bye, Duddits," because Duddits apparently knows this thing's gonna end well. Um, mm-hmm. and so when they, when they get Duds, he's like, yo guys, he's going to, I don't know. He's like, we're going to this reservoir or this standpipe to, in order to drop like eggs into the, the water so that, you know, it can get everywhere essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Ooh. So that's what they're talking about. Yeah. And, uh, 
and so they they get there and they get it takes like two seconds like it's such like a weird jump like this is like a very large part of the book like them traveling around mm-hmm. but the movie like fast forwards for everything like there's a, there's a great it's there's like a great scene where um it's really funny because uh you kind of get to see mr gray kind of trying to be human a little bit trying out being human or enjoying the human things and like at one point he like he eats bacon for the first time and he loves it mm-hmm. so he like goes into a, he goes into a uh, convenience store and robs it and takes like bacon mayonnaise and bread and goes outside and eats it Listen, man, if Animorphs taught me every anything, except for thermals as well, it's that aliens love to it's, eat. It's, it, of course. It's it's great. <laughs> like, it's it's funny, because, like, it's it's actually kind of, like, showing Jonesy, like, using the memories to his advantage, basically, like, because he's in the brain, he, like, gives him, you know, images of, he smells the bacon, he, he puts the bacon in, like, the smell of bacon in mm-hmm. uh, Mr. Gray's mind and stuff. And, like, yep. and he, they actually kind of almost flush out Mr. Gray a little bit. They kind of flush him out as this idea of, like, giving into humanity and kind of, like, Maybe okay. Maybe I'll go native. Maybe I'll just kind of live in Jonesy's body and like enjoy the life that I've kind of found here. Um, mm-hmm. But that doesn't end up happening in the movie. In the movie, Mr. Gray is just Mr. Gray. Yeah, that'll be the spinoff. I, I would watch the shit of that. Great. Be like a Wandavision yeah. sort of thing. Gray and Jonesy. It'd be great. I can match theme song. Gray and Jonesy. Um, <laughs> yeah. So they go to the reservoir, and when they get there, fucking Curtis appears. Did that piss you off? Like. Like, yes. he, 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 like, he appears why? in the book too but I feel like it's not as, as shitty <laughs> it's been forever uh-huh. this is also the point of the movie too where they start using wipe transitions over and over and over again like in Star Wars and they have not used it at all up until this point but I remember it really pissed me off it seemed like every single scene it was just wipe 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 uh, I did not notice that but I also didn't yeah. care <laughs> at, <all. I> was... <laughs> at that point so you were you were at this point when you were watching this movie you still had vomit on your hands and you were just like god exactly but basically curtis flies in a helicopter and shoots um <laughs> owen and owen shoots curtis's uh helicopter and it crashes and it's like the most like the stupidest use of these two characters you could possibly imagine like in the book, I think that they have like a gunfight, and and I think they mm-hmm. both end up dying too. I can't. No, actually, no. Curtis might live. Act or Owens might live actually in the book. I think he might help them. I think he might help Henry leave in the end. But mm-hmm. God, that was it was. It's just utterly pointless. It just. It's very much a hey. We still have these two characters. We have to write them out somehow. It almost reminds me like of like the Predator just... a little bit. Where I'm just like, was there another ending? Did they do shoot the original ending and then just like decide to change it at the end so they had to kill them off in a different way and stuff and like in a very quick way mm-hmm. that they get the actors in and out you know mm-hmm. I yeah know. i don't know i don't know but here we go i can't imagine morgan Freeman was too cheap True. for this one so yeah then they head on over to the reservoir and this is where we have our final climatic battle um so uh, Henry takes uh, Owen's weapon, and then he kills Mr. Gray's worm, and then Duddits comes in out of nowhere and confronts Mr. Gray in Jonesy's body. And what does uh, Duddits say as he enters the room? Do you remember? I Duddits. I Duddits. I Duddits. That's exactly <laughs> what he says. No, he says, uh, what was oh, the phrase? We got some work to do. Scooby Doo. We got some work to do. We got some work to do. Yeah, you know, like, we got some work to do. So this cancer patient comes on in. Wearing his Red Sox jersey or Red Sox coats, we got some work to do. Scooby Dooey doing it up, um, and 
gets his yep. ass kicked. He gets mortally stabbed in the chest by this massive, massive, massive thing. But then, plot twist, and this is what was changed for the yeah. book, right? Yeah. Um, Dunnitz is actually an alien. And he converts back into his alien body. And the basically does something to get, um, transform both of them, uh, them into Red Mist. And it vaguely resembles a dream catcher, and then both the aliens disappear. There's still one more shit weasel mm-hmm. walking away, and Henry steps on it, and then the weasel's dead. And the alien's dead, they've saved the day, and Henry goes, Jonesy. And then the movie ends. Yep. It's basically random. It's really weird. Yep. There's no ending to this movie. It's just kind of like, all done. Um, so basically, I have a yeah. question. Was Dunnitz an alien the whole time? Or was he infected by an alien later on? And most importantly, what the fuck is going on with his mom? I, I, that's what I have no fucking idea. That, that's, that's like the weirdest thing. Yeah, did you, did you find him? Was he replaced? Like, it's, we don't know. Was he like in a basket outside is your he home? Superman? Where, is he Superman? Is he I think Superman? He's Superman? Andrew, Andrew, is this movie a Superman? Oh, he's Superman. Okay, he's good. He's Superman. We figured it out. We've got another one, and that is Dreamcatcher. Um, in terms of Stephen King novelizations or Stephen King novelizations to book or to movies or just Stephen King movies in general, this is one of the worst yep. ones in my opinion. Like, I do love the shit weasel scene. Uh, there are a couple good set design stuff. Like, the production value is high. It's really high production value. But it's just not good. It's very much, I think we hit it on the nail on the head earlier this uh, podcast where we said it's like they decided to do a straight-up adaptation of it and they didn't try and adapt it for a movie at all. They just tried to cram as much of it as possible into the movie and it just didn't fit at all. A lot of missing blanks. A lot of stuff that doesn't make sense, a lot of just weird things, but that's what it is. And then of course, too, the book itself is not that great. I don't know. I, I enjoy the book. Apparently, I, I from what I hear, it's pretty good. Uh, okay. Like it's all right. It's weird. It's like I don't know. Again, like the the idea of like Mister Gray and stuff is, is a lot different. Like it's it's really just like I always thought the book of a, is basically like just a story of friendship and stuff. I'm like because in, in the end of the book. Um, basically what Duddits does is he uses his like dream catcher and again that's where the dream catcher idea comes through again it connects things he basically allows mm-hmm. Henry and uh, he basically serves as a conduit between Henry and Jonesy to the point that Jonesy and Henry's minds like they're can kind of together take down Mr. Grey in within his mind mm-hmm. so Mr. Grey never manifests as a physical thing like Mr. Grey has to bring the huh. shit weasel with him to drop into the thing it's kind of the goal gotcha. is to drop is to drop the shit weasel's corpse into the hole and its body mm-hmm. will seed the thing um and so at the end yeah that's kind of the idea is like at the end the dream catcher is basically henry and jonesy working together and the idea had they had they been together earlier kind of like in it they could have taken it down like it's almost it's very similar to it where the idea is that like it's it's all about your fear and kind of confronting your yourself a little bit what which is very Stephen yeah. King, and I, I kind of so. like that. Again, like it's it's a lot. It's, I think it's what a lot of his stories end with. I think it's why I don't really think of his stories as really horror stories as much as they are character stories. Because, mm-hmm. like again, I don't. I think that a lot of the reflection at the end is Jonesy kind of being like questioning how much of it was him, questioning how much of 
how much he allowed Mr. Gray to take control of him and how much he kind of felt like he, he was out of his control. Mm-hmm. Um, I can see that, yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. It's yeah. interesting. Yeah, it's it's a weird movie. I chose this because of our connection to that and Bathroom Sinks, and that will be a consistent running joke. Is Dreamcatcher our, our Dreamcatcher? Is it our Duddits? Yeah, th- th- that'll be a Dreamcatcher. The Sink will be our <laughs> <Yeah>. Dreamcatcher. <laughs> And uh, that's that's what we're going to take care of. But in terms of Stephen King adaptations, there's a million other ones that you can watch that are better than this one, and there are millions of other ones you can watch that are worse than this one. This with, one's with pretty. With that idea in mind, what yeah. did you think of it, Part Two? Oh god, we should do another. Do you want to do, okay, well, I, I'm not going to um, remember much of it. I got I got pretty wasted, and I was really angry as I watched it. <laughs> of it, yeah, Part I, Two, I did not like it at all. <laughs> uh, I thought. Um, on a surface level, it was good. In terms of the pacing, it was all over the place. Well, you know what? Let's let's finish this up with the next episode, okay? We'll talk after I stop okay. recording. So, any final thoughts on Dreamcatcher? Um, I'd still say it's worth watching. I think it's. I think watch it once at least, and like you know, maybe maybe boost it up a little bit as you watch. But like, I think watching it the first time, it's probably not as stupid. I think when you don't know where it's going, it's not as bad. And then when you realize that, you're just like, oh, God, there's nothing but disappointment at the you know, very end. I would say look up the Jonesy possession scene on YouTube, and if that appeals to you, then watch it. If not, If not, watch away. the shit weasel scene. Because the, the shit weasel is the money shot scene. That's, that's, like, honestly, like... And did you know, actually, um, there's, I, I wonder with modern, with its resurgence, if had they made this movie again, they would include the connection... Because like originally in the mm-hmm. book, um, when uh, when it because because uh, Mister Gray can't access all of Jonesy's memories, he goes to the standpipe that falls over in it, like um, the, the, mm-hmm. the the dairy standpipe. He goes there to try to, to try to do it, and he's like, "What? What the fuck? Where did it go?" And Jonesy's like, "Oh, you fucking idiot! Like it fell over in a storm. Like some years ago, all these kids died. <laughs> like, and then he's like, "Oh, okay." But then as they leave, they actually see like carved in the wall, like in the standpipe it lives so it's kind of like mm-hmm. ooh what's going on when, like, it's another 27 years in the past <laughs> soon like you know it's like it was I don't know it's exciting it's the most ambitious crossover history forever I don't know I still like the gunslinger versus the show I would versus. watch the shit out of that please like oh, you know God, like yes. he keeps he did create one through the keyhole which I never read which was like a mm-hmm. he, he fucking he wrote he wrote a mass he wrote, he wrote like you know his masterwork quote unquote and it was it was a cyclical series where there could be multiple iterations of the same thing and instead of writing the the eighth book i guess you'd call it in one of the other cycles of this occurrence he decided to write it in between the original books he's a he's a fucking he's he's a loon i don't know (laughs) he's a loon he's a weird dude he's stephen king um my uncle actually looks a lot like him and he's been mistaken for stephen king before like people have come up to him and said excuse me are you stephen king um, and that was actually my experience with learning who Stephen King was, was everyone kept saying, oh yeah, your uncle looks like Stephen King. Who's Stephen King? And then I read, uh, The Stand. That was my first Stephen King book. And I was like, oh. Really? Dude, my, my dad, uh, I was going to my dad looked like Quentin Tarantino. He had that, he has like a protruding chin, or he did at least, when he was younger. Uh, and, uh, that's how I learned who Quentin Tarantino was. Cool. All right. 
Well, that is Dreamcatcher. So that is that. Um, thank you so much to our opening song. That is Horror Movie Story by Teddy's Atlas. They're good, good Canadian boys. You can get that off the album Children of the Corn. Um, and everyone else, enjoy. Boy. Enjoy.